As we get started today with Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, I just want to thank everybody for reaching out to me on social media regarding the passing of my friend Jeff Dickerson. Jeff Dickerson worked at ESPN 1000 Chicago for a long time, and uh, he passed away because of cancer. And two years prior to today, his wife passed away because of cancer. And the outpouring of affection that you have given to me, but more importantly, given to Jeff's son, Parker Dickerson, through GoFundMe has been incredible. Over a million dollars was donated to the future of Parker Dickerson through the GoFundMe. And because Parker now no longer has his dad or his mom, at least from that standpoint, there is security. However, there's always going to be the loss of JD, someone who I've done hundreds of talk shows with on ESPN 1000. We were able to parlay our work from ESPN 1000 into a national show, the Dickerson and Hood show on ESPN radio. And we did that show together for five years. And I just want to thank everybody that has reached out to me and um, given their condolences to someone who died way too soon at age 44. Jeff was someone that loved professional wrestling. Uh, there were times on our shows that we talk wrestling, our national shows, because he's an old school wrestling fan. He loved world-class championship wrestling out of Dallas and he was a huge NWA fan. I will share this with you for the first time, I have not said this to anyone, but I'll share this with you because this is our wrestling podcast. When I visited Jeff last week in hospice, as he was suffering with cancer, he was sitting in a chair and he was having lunch. And even though he was suffering with this cancer, he still was able to crack jokes and still was able to stay with the conversation that he and I had. In hospice, we were together in our room, in his room for over an hour. We talked about a lot of things, um, but one of the things that he mentioned to me is that one of his dreams that he really wanted to do was to work with me and also uh, Ryan McGee and uh, Marty Smith from ESPN Radio, and for all four of us to do a show from the NWA fan convention that happens every year. Uh, Marty and McGee is a show that's on ESPN Radio, and it's also on the SEC Network, and both of those guys are from the Carolinas, and they know Southern wrestling. Um, they know Mid-Atlantic Championship wrestling from years gone by. This is where Ric Flair and Greg Valentine and Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle and so many others were able to go through that territory and really make it pop. All part of that Crockett territory from back in the day. And every year the National Wrestling Alliance has their, their fan fest. And he always thought it had been cool for Marty McGee and Dickerson Hood to be able to all broadcast from that fan fest and have NWA legends come to the table and kind of record those interviews and put it on a show. And he said that the last time I saw him, he still had wrestling on his mind, even though he knew that the end was near. And um, 
that's the rustling part of our conversation that we had in hospice. And um, so I, I just wanted to just reach out to you before we start here and just just give some well wishes to Jeff Dickerson's family, his mom and dad, who are great people. Uh, Jeff was defiant and strong all the way to the end. The one story that resonates with me is that Jeff says, these doctors don't know me. They don't know my resolve. They don't know how long I'm going to be able to hang in there. And, uh, you know, he was kept saying that, hey, man, I just got to get to the 27th, I believe he said, of uh, December. I got to get to the 27th of December. He's He's telling everybody that because he thought he'd get another dose of chemo. And then he found out that if he did take the chemo, that it would kill him instantly. And so he had to just live his life without the chemo. He says, I got to get to the 27th. I just got to get there. And he lived. He was able to see Christmas and spend his last Christmas with his family, his mom and dad and his son and people that were around him. And he was able to peacefully pass away. I love you, Jeff Dickerson. I love you. And I just want to share that story with you that J.D., was strong all the way to the end and uh, and loved wrestling. <laughs> so uh, rest in peace, my friend, someone who I've spent a lot of time with. We traveled to a lot of Final Fours, nine Final Fours for the NCAA Men's Basketball Championships. We went to two Super Bowls together and we had a ton of ESPN Chicago and ESPN National radio shows um, throughout the years. And that was my guy. And the world will not be the same without him. I'll start the show. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Wherever you're listening to us from, whether it's the ESPN Chicago app, whether it is on Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you are, thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Happy New Year to you and your family here as we review professional wrestling from the wrestling capital of the world, Chicago, Illinois. we got so much to cover here in this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. 
We will talk about the day one pay-per-view, the first pay-per-view of the year, January 1st, emanating from the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, as we have a new WWE World Champion. We'll discuss that. Also, we'll get a chance to hear from Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman, once again, tied everything together. On the 3rd of January for Monday Night Raw, we'll hear from Paul Heyman. Heyman has uh, connected, reconnected with Brock Lesnar. So we'll get into that. AEW Dynamite's got uh, a really big show for the TBS Network and also Battle of the Belts all this week as well. And so much more before we're done right here on this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. want to remind you that not only... If you are listening to this podcast, make sure you tell people that uh, Jonathan Hood Talks Wrestling, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, right here on this podcast. But also, you can find this show on YouTube, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday there. I, I could always use more subscribers on YouTube, right? It's growing steadily, and I'm very happy about that. But if I don't say it on the podcast, more than likely... More than likely, some of my thoughts will be on YouTube. So check it out, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell. That way you never miss my thoughts after Monday Night Raw, after a SmackDown, after a Dynamite, after a Rampage, after a New Japan show. Who knows, right? Check it out. Again, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on YouTube. And don't forget, also on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us. Twitter or Instagram, look for Wrestling TWT. Plugs are out of the way. Let's talk about day one emanating from Atlanta, Georgia. Let's talk about this. So the main event is Big E against Bobby Lashley, against Kevin Owens, against Seth Rollins, against Brock Lesnar. Now, this was changed. This main event was changed because Roman Reigns suffered COVID-19. So he was not available in Atlanta. So the WWE want to have a title change of some sort. It makes me think. That if Roman Reigns was available, Roman might have lost the Universal Championship against Brock Lesnar. That's kind of what I think. But you just know that Vince McMahon and the powers that be in the WWE said, okay, we've got to do something for the fans. We've got to have something. And so Brock Lesnar defeats Big E by pinfall in that fatal five-way to win the WWE Championship again. Before we hear the highlights of this one, I thought that the match had a lot of physicality to it. It was fast. It's what you expect from the WWE, right? If you got five stars in the ring, you want to make sure it's action-packed. And it's exactly what it was. It was an action-packed match. There's no doubt. But I knew that when Brock Lesnar was introduced last, I said, you know what? Something's going to change here. Because the WWE champion's Big E. Don't you think he should be introduced last? It doesn't make sense to me when the champion is not introduced last. But a couple things with Big E. Big E was a good WWE champion, and not necessarily because of what he did in the ring, because the WWE made Big E lose. He lost a number of key matches on TV, whether singles or in a tag team, the champion, Big E, lost. And I know that for those that work in the WWE, old wins and losses, they don't matter. That's bullshit. Yes, they do matter. They matter as far as how fans look at a wrestler the perception of a wrestler. If you have a strap, if you've got a belt, you expect that person to be able to win. You expect them to be successful. You expect them to be able to carry themselves as a champion. But we come to find out as far as the way the WWE looks at Big E, they look at Big E as CM Punk or Daniel Bryan or Rey Mysterio or Bray Wyatt. 
a lot of those wrestlers, they were champions, but they were never the guy, right? They were never the guy. Uh, I look at those wrestlers and say, yeah, who didn't like CM Punk? Who didn't like Bray Wyatt? Who didn't like you know some of those top wrestlers like Rey Mysterio, uh, Chris Benoit? You can throw him in there as well. Those wrestlers carried the WWE Championship, but they were never the guy. And the same thing here with Big E. You know, Big E did not have enough main event matches for me to consider him one of the you know top heavyweight champions because he lost a lot. We saw this on TV, one. And two, he was not the reason for a card like Roman Reigns. Roman is way more over than anybody in the company that's not named Brock Lesnar. And that's kind of how Vince wants it. But I want to give Biggie his flowers. No matter how he was treated as the WWE champion, he carried himself so well. And here's what I saw. I saw Big E at the Breakfast Club, a very popular radio show in New York. It's a national show, The Breakfast Club, uh, and it's really about the culture. It's about pop culture. It's about different voices that come on that show. And I thought that Big E handled himself very well, talking about himself as an African-American WWE champion. You say, oh, well, Hood, there's been a number of them. That's not a big deal. No, even in 2022, it's, it is a big deal to be black and be able to have a championship. We'll get into that a little bit later on, but it is still a big deal because of the history of the business. So Big E talking about this on the Breakfast Club, he would had a, he was on various podcasts and talk shows talking about his experience being the WWE champion. Dude was at boxing events. Dude was at UFC events with the championship. He was there uh, at college game day because of his uh, college football career. So Big E, I thought, did a great job representing the company and representing himself. For his amount of time that he was WWE champion, he had fun with it, that is for sure. And his championship reign came out of left field for me. I didn't expect Big E to be the WWE champion. I never even saw him in that light, only because that's the way he was booked. You know, we saw him for a long time with the New Day. It's kind of the, the big guy, the strong man with the New Day. But I never thought that he would be WWE champion. And he became WWE champion. He did a really good job. And so in this match, it's Big E. It's Bobby Lashley. It's Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins along with Brock Lesnar. Lesnar's introduced last. You know why? Because Vince McMahon looks at Brock Lesnar as the star out of all five of those guys. That he deserves the last introduction. I don't agree with that. I think that should always be the champion, no matter if you believe in him or not. But that's the way it was handled. And it was a quick match. And it was Lesnar's kind of match because a couple of suplexes here, a couple of power moves there. And just like that, he becomes, once again, the WWE champion. against these two superstars. Owens and Rollins have done a masterful job of working in unison. Here we see Big E with the knees up just in time to stop Owens, but not Seth freaking Rollins. Rollins now the only one standing in this fatal five-way WWE Championship matchup. I agree with the crowd. This is awesome. And almost amazing 
Bailey. Both Lashley and Lesnar have been neutralized. And it is Seth freaking Rollins looking to make the most of his opportunity. Rolling. The opportunity that should have been his. Rolling elbow by Rollins. And oh. again to the base of the neck. Oh, Rollins. Rollins is in position now. We're going to be the new champion. Looking for the courtesy of a stop. Oh. A brand new WWE champion, it is Brock Lesnar. Interesting, right? So it was not a long match, but it had a lot of moves, a lot of power moves, and you had five guys in there that could work. And they told a quick story, and Brock Lesnar is the champion again. But I know that there was a lot of backlash on Twitter. They're saying, oh man, look at Big E, just got Kofi'd. Because now Brock Lesnar has won two championships from two members of the New Day. <laughs> I can understand why people would be pissed off at that. Um, but understand that Brock Lesnar, to me, now has the opportunity to take on Roman Reigns, possibly at WrestleMania. Title versus title. We'll see how that goes. But I can see where that's going. But it's funny because easily Big E could have retained. He could have retained the championship. And everybody could have went home happy because Big E would have retained the championship. He, I mean, Big E could have beat... Seth Rollins or Kevin Owens or Bobby Lashley, but that's not the case. And we'll tell you why moving forward here in this podcast. But I know Big E's no longer the champion, but here's what I'm looking for in 2022. Will Big E be able to get a rematch? Will he get Kofi'd in, in which he's the champion and then never gets another shot at the championship? Like that won't work, right? You can't be Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre, a former WWE champion, defeating Brock Lesnar, and then never sniff around the championship again. Like, that can't happen. Big E, I think, deserves another opportunity. 
is that like at payback or some random raw like that ain't right right hopefully that biggie will be in contention again and he'll have another reign and another shot at this again because i thought he did a solid job how about becky lynch against Liv morgan Let's talk about that matchup for a second. Um, it was for the Raw Women's Championship. Liv Morgan once again trying to dethrone Becky Lynch. Saw her title slip away. I thought she had her there. Oh, oh, oh. 
Oblivion! Trying to execute it, but... Oh, Manhandle Slam counter! The champion retains! So Becky Lynch retains the Raw Women's Championship. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Can I ask you a question? Who is Liv Morgan? Who is Liv Morgan? I, while I was letting that highlight play, I was just going to her Twitter because I don't follow Liv Morgan. But she's uh, at you only live once, two Vs in live, right? Because she's Liv Morgan. And I read her bio. Liv Morgan's bio says, I like video games and scary movies. I only wrestle once a week on live TV. I live on a farm. I make soap. Maybe a witch. And then there's a link to her merch. Who is Liv Morgan? (laughs) And by the way, if she likes video games and scary movies, is that part of a vignette that we should know that she's young and she likes video games? Um... And should that be somewhere on the TV show, some kind of bad Bruce Pritchard vignette to know that she lives on a farm? What does that farm look like? I don't know who Liv Morgan is. And so it's hard for me to believe that the WWE would put a championship on Liv Morgan. Now, I've always been, if you've listened to this podcast even once, you know that I've said that it's important for the WWE to establish stars. Right? You've got to be able to have not just stars, new stars. It has to be more than just your four or six wrestlers that you like and then have a, a roster of 100 people, men, you know, men and women, and never get them over. Right? Liv Morgan is a babyface. That's all I know about Liv Morgan. And I watched this match twice now. And Becky Lynch clearly is the better wrestler, the more experienced wrestler. And Liv Morgan, and there's a couple of spots in this match I just don't understand, but Liv Morgan has a somewhat of a babyface fire, somewhat, right? But I noticed in this one spot, and you heard the highlight, because one of the, the things that's happened between these two is that Becky Lynch tried to break the arm of Liv Morgan, and Liv Morgan was able to put Becky Lynch's arm into the stairs, um, the steel stairs, and stomp on the arm of Becky Lynch. Becky never sold the arm, even though it's toward the end of the match. She she repeatedly stomped on Becky Lynch's arm, and Lynch never sold it. Also, at the end of this match, where it was this that manhandle slam, uh, it was supposed to be Becky Lynch putting her feet on the ropes to cheat to win the match. Uh, her legs were not long enough to reach the ropes, so it was just a one, two, three. So there was no, it was supposed to be an opportunity for Becky Lynch to put her feet on the ropes for leverage to pin Becky to pin Liv Morgan and it never happened because she couldn't get her legs to reach because she was too far away in a one two three and that's it. it. The thing is, it's like I have no problem with the WWE trying to find wrestlers and put them in a position to to take on Charlotte or take on Becky or be in the upper echelon of the card. I thought that the two women worked serviceably i think they worked hard but the thing that i was looking at with Liv morgan is like how am i supposed to believe who you are when i don't even know who you are 
you're just a wrestler with with a lot of you know blonde extensions that is a decent performer, but I don't know if anybody in Atlanta really believed that Liv Morgan could beat Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. And that's what it comes down to, right? If it's Sasha Banks, if it's Bianca Belair, if it's if it's wrestlers of that ilk, you're kind of like, hmm, there's a good possibility that they could be able to upset or just beat the two top women in the company in Charlotte and Becky. And so, cool. Give people opportunities, but give me a reason to believe that they can get it done. Liv Morgan's promos are just as sterile and as stale as almost everybody in that company because they have to read from a script and it's not really them. I don't know who, what Liv Morgan's uh, personality is. I'm not sure what it is in real life, but you don't see any of it outside of her trying to recite lines in her mind to make sure that she gets it over. And uh, I noticed that on Raw the night, um, the Monday after this pay-per-view, it's kind of like, okay, so she has she's had a couple of opportunities here. Does she get more opportunities? for the Raw Women's Championship? Is Liv Morgan over? I think she competed well, but not to the point where I think that's a future champion. In the beginning, experience is about the little moves in the end. It's about who can dig deeper, and this is why both Edge and Miz delivering thunderous boots to one another simultaneously. Now, who can dig deep? Who can find the resolve to win? Miz showing a little more movement than Edge right now. Now Edge, oh, back to his feet. From the rated R superstar, Miz answers. It's been building for weeks. These two showing, talking, trying to embarrass one another. The attacks back and forth. Well, now we get to see who has more in the tank, who has more will because of those exchanges. Look at this aggression from the Miz. Great stuff from the Miz. He's looking to put this one away. Oh, that might do it. Classic offense from the A-lister. Line clothesline, I think, took all of the fight out of Edge. But now it's the A-lister, brimming with confidence, making the climb to the top rope. Edge right there to meet the Miz with a right hand. Both these men in a precarious position now. Edge repositioning himself there on the middle row. It's about who can use it right here, right now. Oh, my goodness. And it's Edge! from the top rope long way down for Miz rough landing for Edge Miz though in absolute agony take a look at this desperation pays off big for Edge and oh and look at Maurice Maurice couldn't stand every second of it look at the eyes of Edge now it feels like Edge has found new life in this matchup Maurice concerned because she's seeing what we're seeing which is Edge lined up with Miz in his sights. Oh! Miz might have tweaked his knee on the landing. Oh, no! Maurice just hit him over the head. No! No! Crushing finale! Finale! Yes! Two! Oh, what? Unbelievable resilience by Edge! Last possible second. The life of Edge. The Glamazon is 
fact, I was initially referencing Maurice, but I'm this is beautiful in its own sort of way. As outstrategize the Miz and all the weeks, all the weeks that the Miz spent trying to embarrass Edge. In the end, it was Edge who embarrassed Miz. So Edge defeats Miz. You know, Edge is in my top 10 of wrestlers all time on my list. I'm a big Edge fan because in an era where you look at wrestlers that can be able to reinvent themselves, I think Edge has done a really great job of that. Chris Jericho also has done a great job of that over the years, but Edge is one of my favorites to watch. But you know, Edge has come back here after eight or nine years off of wrestling in retirement, and has had some really good matches with Randy Orton. He's had some really good matches with Seth Rollins. But this match against Miz was the shits. It was bad. It was bad. And it's not Edge's fault that this was a C plus C minus effort. It's not Edge's fault. It's the Miz. The Miz, it's not about me being a wrestling fan and just booing Miz and dissing Miz just to diss Miz. The Miz is going to the WWE Hall of Fame. There's no question he's going to the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, And the reason why he's going to be a Hall of Famer in that company is because, just like John Cena, he is a supreme sports entertainer. What The Miz did out there was something I would see in the 1970s from a manager that's wrestling, right? If you're a longtime wrestling fan, you know what I mean by that. Sometimes managers had to wrestle because they were forced into it. There was some kind of stipulation or whatever. It's like, oh, this manager's got to get in there, and that manager gets his ass kicked, whether it's Paul Heyman, whether it's Jim Cornette, whether it's Paul Jones, J.J. Dillon, you know, on and on and on, right? There was always that manager that had to get into the ring and could do a little something but couldn't do a lot. The Miz has his five moves, and he's not going to deviate from that. I don't care who it's against. The Miz is not going to show anybody anything different in the ring. That's amazing. Here's a guy here that has, he's been in the WWE, what, 15 years? Maybe more than that? Maybe close to 20 years? The Miz has done nothing different since he has been in the WWE as a tag team wrestler or as a single. But that's the essence of sports entertainment in that company. You don't have to do a lot. Now, let me just flip it on you by saying this. If you're Hulk Hogan, right, or if you're Ric Flair, or if you're one of these box office wrestlers in which you only have five or six moves that you do, uh, then people know that you're over. They expect those moves, and it will always get over. People will pay a ticket to see it. I don't know if there's anybody in Atlanta or anywhere else in the country that says, I can't wait to see Miz go in there and do his five moves. Hell, it happened for John Cena. And if you don't believe me, when John Cena returned to the WWE and that run against Roman Reigns, when he was doing the house show loop, when he was doing the live events, John Cena was, was packing buildings just for his return. Dude was left the company, was able to do some movies, came back to try to help the company, and to have John Cena take on Roman Reigns, that whole one, two, three. It only takes three seconds, Roman. One, two, that whole thing, right? That whole three-second thing. Well, he was back on the road, and he was filling up buildings. 
because they know John Cena's over. They know that the power of the promo, along with the five moves of Doom, is over. Because people saw it a lot and they liked it. I can't say the same for Miz. Miz has been WWE champion several times. Even during this pandemic, he's been a champion. But it is just amazing to me that the Miz has not evolved into anything else. Even though, even Cena at times pulled out a move or two on a pay-per-view, like, whoa, where did that come from, right? He was always known for the five moves of Doom, Cena, but there were some times where he pulled out a couple of moves where you're like, wow, I didn't know he had that in his arsenal. The Miz just sucks. He made this match a C plus C minus match because he did all the things that he did. He did nothing that I hadn't seen five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago from this guy. And so this could have actually been a good WrestleMania match, meaning it could have been a mixed tag and I would have been fine with it. But a nice let me up match, let me up off my couch to go get popcorn or, or fill up my uh, my whiskey glass, whatever. Right. I would have just walked out like it's, it was good to see. Edge's uh, wife there. It was good to see uh, Beth Phoenix out there uh, to try to chase Maurice off. But I mean, maybe that's going to be a mixed tag at WrestleMania. I don't know. But uh, I mean, for Edge, it was not a night off. He had to work hard to try to make Miz something. Miz wasn't even sweating hard because he w- he doesn't work hard. And I know that that's the whole thing with Miz, right? I know that the buildup for this was good because Edge did everything he could to put him over. Hey, Miz, they're talking about you on AEW TV. You know, you're the butt of everyone's jokes. You're doing Dancing with the Stars, but you've been a, a champion. You've actually been good. You're going to be a future Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. He did everything he could to try to put the Miz over. And the Miz did nothing to solidify himself, saying, you know what? I got a couple of other things I'm going to do here to try to beat edge and the only thing he had was his wife out there maurice trying to help him win so i feel bad for edge (laughs) i really do because that probably is the worst match that he's had since returning to the wwe even on a part-time basis said, here we go. Dragon kicks into the, to the center of the ring. Paul Uso's going up top. And stereo double. Uso splash. Cover by Jay. That's Who it. Jimmy's legal. Kicks in. Runs 
into a big, big boot. And the Usos, 3D! That is a 3D! That's a 1D! 1D! That was the best match on the card. The first match on the card was the best match on the card. I love when these four go at it. And this is not your classic tag team battle. It's not your classic battle where you know, it's not the Rock and Roll Express against the Midnight Express. It's not that, right? It's not Heart Foundation British Bulldogs. It's, it's not that. But what it is, is four guys that know how to work. It was an A-plus match and the best match on the card. SmackDown Tag Team Championships on the line. The New Day take on the Usos. And what I really liked is that the Usos were able to really work on a body part on uh, Kofi Kingston. And that was one of the stories of the match. They really wore down Kingston enough to be able to get that pinfall and was able to preserve uh, King Woods. Woods was not pinned in the match. But I really thought that, um, that the Usos really did a great job of this match, isolating that one body part, making sure that Kofi Kingston wasn't able to tag a very hot King Woods and Kingston took the pin. Uh, and so out of nowhere, shows you the, the tag team chemistry of the Usos. They pulled out a 3D or maybe they're calling it a 1D, what, whatever it is. But they pulled out um, what I thought was uh, a move that we saw from Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley, the 3D. And I think, as you heard Pat McAfee say, that's the 1D. And that was the 1-2-3, and the Usos win. I could see that match 10 times in a row. A variation of that match. But those four in the ring together, uh, they have great chemistry. And because it's good tag team wrestling. For a company that doesn't necessarily believe in tag team wrestling, um, the Usos and the New Day are a box office. They're always fun to watch. And there you have it, on Monday Night Raw from Greenville, South Carolina, 
I could say the city, and I know the WWE is embarrassed by it because they said they were in South Carolina. Couldn't say they're in Greenville. Too small for them to say it. I'll say it. They were in an old Crockett standby. The old NWA standard was Greenville, South Carolina, places like that. And Monday Night Raw emanated from Greenville. And Paul Heyman announced that once again he is aligned and is the advocate for Brock Lesnar. And now all is right in the world, right? All that time, all those questions on exactly who was going to be on the side of Roman Reigns, who was going to be on the side of Brock Lesnar, we come to find out all along it is Paul Heyman realigning himself with now the WWE champion, Brock Lesnar. Awesome, right? Awesome. Now, you could just see that there's more ways to be able to tell a story. Because I honestly believe that the story was going to be Brock Lesnar defeating Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman screwing Roman Reigns in some way, shape, or form at day one in Atlanta. But again, Roman had COVID, as you heard Paul Heyman talk about. (laughs) And so they put the championship, the WWE puts the championship on Brock Lesnar. And instead of a screw job by Paul Heyman on Roman there's Paul that's coming out saying, hey, my new guy now is Brock Lesnar. And we're reunited. And it feels so good. And that's it. That's the story that they're telling. Now, from there, what we saw was a fantastic main event on Monday Night Raw. In which we saw four guys that were just tearing it up. For the main event. And it was not just a main event. I thought it was a physical, strong main event. You have Big E, you have Lashley, you have uh, Seth freaking Rollins, and you have Kevin Owens. And they were all over the building. And they were fighting one another. And the reason why they were fighting is because whoever gets the pinfall has the opportunity to take on Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble in St. Louis. And Bobby Lashley won. Bobby Lashley won the opportunity now to take on Brock Lesnar for the WWE Heavyweight Championship in St. Louis at the Royal Rumble. Cool. But I want to be able to give Paul Heyman his due. Paul Heyman, if not the best, he's one of the best talkers, promos in the WWE. And he doesn't even wrestle. He is able, like a promoter, because that's really what he is in his heart. He's a salesperson. He is a promoter. This dude was able to put over Big E and he put over Bobby Lashley. In his promo that is part of the promo that you didn't hear, he talked about the importance of Big E and thought that his title reign was solid and put Big E over. That's one. But the other thing is, he broke down why Bobby Lashley should be in this matchup against Brock Lesnar because in that match that we just played for you at day one, Every time that Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar got into it, Lashley got the best of Brock Lesnar. Whether it was a spear or whatever power move, whether it was the hurt lock, you know, the the full Nelson thing that uh, Lashley does. It seems though Lesnar had struggles with Bobby Lashley. Paul Heyman also said that these two have never spoken. These two have never worked together in the ring. So that raises an eyebrow for everybody that says, here's a fresh fresh match. Here's a match that we've never seen before. I think that's cool. 
Because ultimately, you want to see something new and different in the WWE. And so when you have a matchup, and I haven't, even, haven't thought about it until Heyman said it, that Lashley and Lesnar have never wrestled one another. And now we get that match uh, at the Royal Rumble. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So I just think that Heyman put everything together. Heyman was the reason why he's no longer with um, Roman Reigns. He's now with the champion Brock Lesnar on Monday Night Raw. He also talked about Big E, which also gives some foreshadowing that Big E at some point will be back in the title picture. And even before that four-way I just told you about with Rollins and Owens and Big E and Lashley, he talked about how Brock Lesnar had some issues with Bobby Lashley in the ring in that fatal five-way on day one. He said there were some issues there, like Lesnar had a hard time handling Bobby Lashley. So if nothing else, we get a fresh match with Lesnar and Lashley at the Royal Rumble. I thought all of it just worked out very, very well. And by the way, you heard a little bit of Brock Lesnar there too. The reason why I look at Brock Lesnar and says, you know, this is, it feels new, it feels fresh, is because we've never seen a babyface Brock before. This is all new, right? We have never seen him smile so much. We've never seen him, you know, being able to show his personality because, you know, for many, many, many years, it was Paul Heyman doing all the mic work. And you come to find out, it seems as though that Brock Lesnar is having a lot of fun. He pretty much did a Paul Heyman impression right there, talking about how he's he's Brock Lesnar and kind of doing the same thing that Paul Heyman does. Uh, Brock is quite the personality. And we hadn't seen that for years because he was always a heel and people were booing Brock Lesnar. They appreciated Brock Lesnar, but I think a lot of people said, this guy wins a championship and he goes on the farm. You never, you never see him for months on end, weeks on end. He doesn't do any promos. You know, the, the championship is just hidden. It just goes away. But that was a Vince McMahon decision. They wanted to make sure that Brock was kept fresh, that he was kept away from the week-to-week grind. However, 2022 is different. At least it's starting that way. Because when we come to find out, as I check my notes here, I believe Brock Lesnar said that he will see Roman Reigns Friday at SmackDown. That's a hell of a way to start the year, right? I know that the WWE can't sustain themselves with great action all year round. I mean, no organization can, but definitely you would think the industry leader could, but I know that they can't sustain themselves uh, to have great action and compelling storylines. But this is compelling for at least the first week, right? You get the pay-per-view, you get a pretty good Raw, especially bookended with Paul Heyman revealing that he's with Brock Lesnar, and then you have the four-way, and then now you've got the number one contender for the championship in Lashley against Lesnar. That's cool. But then on top of that, you have Lesnar saying, I'll see Roman Friday at SmackDown, which is going to be powerful. So Lesnar, you're going to see him twice in the same week, live. Interesting. Tomorrow on TBS, Ruby Soho faces Jay Cargill to be the first TBS champion. Jurassic Express challenges the World Tag Team Champion Lucha Brothers. And the highly anticipated World Championship rematch, Hangman and Danielson Part 2. And I'm going to kick your ass again. AEW Wednesday Night Dynamite, live tomorrow at 8, now on TBS. There's professional wrestling back on TBS. The old WTBS. It's amazing. But it's true. <laughs> it's true that there's wrestling back on TBS. You just heard the promo right there. That AW Dynamite will move to TBS after being with TNT for a while. And I think that the card is pretty good. Especially the AEW Championship. 
in which you have Brian Danielson taking on uh, Hangman Adam Page. You know, I thought that the 60-minute match was tremendous. I talked about that, about how great that is to see a 60-minute match. You don't see that nowadays, especially in the modern days of professional wrestling. But we're going to get that. And now it's got judges, right? Do they go 30 minutes? Do they go 45 minutes again? It's the debut. And the thing is, is that for a match like this, you would have thought that this would have been on pay-per-view first. But no, they put it on TNT first. Now this is going to be on TBS. I don't expect it to go a draw again. I don't expect it to go 60 minutes. But if it does, hey, cool, right? I mean, it's great for us as wrestling fans. I'm not going to hate on that. But I wonder who comes out on top. If Hangman loses on Wednesday on the debut on TBS, it's almost like Hangman Page was a placeholder, right? I think there are some cheers for Adam Page when he's there, but he hasn't been in a ring enough for me to believe that he is a viable AEW champion. I mean, sure, we know the gimmick and he does get applause and there are some cheers, but is he really over? Who's making whom? Is the championship making Adam Page or is Adam Page making the championship? And that's the big difference, right? You and I both know that Brian Danielson is the better worker, and we've seen this. Brian Danielson, without question, is a way better worker than 85 to 90%, 95% of that locker room. He loves to wrestle. He loves to, to provide pain. He loves to do these things. So what can Adam Page do differently against Brian Danielson? To me, if you're going to start the year, Brian Danielson probably should win the championship on TBS. It should be his era. Only because we have, I haven't seen enough of Adam Page to believe that he could put on these five-star matches on a regular basis, four-star matches on a regular basis, just matches for me to believe that not only can he talk a little bit, and I say a little bit, I think he can talk some. He's not a great promo. I think he's good, but he's not great. Um... And especially when you have the championship, you got to be believable, right? And I think that for a babyface, it's pretty good. But it's not great yet. But Danielson, he's saying whatever he wants to say, and he looked like he was ready to go. Think about this. At 60 minutes, he still didn't look tired. I talked to Mark Henry on Busted Open a couple weeks back about this. He said in the back, you know, after 60 minutes, usually I remember, you know, Ric Flair or Nick Bockwinkel or Jerry Lawler or some of these guys, they would go 60 minutes. They would be exhausted afterwards, right? They would be so exhausted. And then Danielson was standing up talking to people in the back and was just kind of walking around with a cup of water and just kind of moving around. And like he didn't take a seat even after 60 minutes. It could have been adrenaline, but also he's in tremendous shape. And I can't say the same thing for Adam Page. Adam Page, you know, again, he was feeling pretty good after the match, but not like Danielson. He's a machine. He could have went 90 minutes. But I think part of that is because the pacing was so solid in this match. It wasn't a buzzsaw through a match. It wasn't a million spots in 60 minutes. I think that the timing, especially at the beginning in the middle, I thought that that gave both guys a breather to be able to continue for 60 minutes and have a great matchup on Dynamite. Now, here we go, 2022. Why do I think Danielson's going to win this one? Also, Jade Cargill with an opportunity against Ruby Soho for the TBS Women's Championship. Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill is green still, but she looks good. And I know that she has a very bright future in this business or in Hollywood. It's one or the other, right? But Jade's going to take on a very experienced Ruby Soho. And I think Jade's going to go over and she's going to win the TBS Women's Championship because I just think that that is, 
I think that that's where they're headed with this. Ruby Soho eventually is going to win a championship. I know that there is some good things about Ruby Soho that a lot of people like. I think that she hasn't really gotten into her groove yet. I know she can go. I know she can work. But she hasn't gotten into her groove yet. But I think that Jade's going to go over and she's going to win the TBS Women's Championship. She looks great. She still has some ways to go. I saw her match against Thunder Rosa. I think that's the longest I've seen her wrestle. And there was some exposure there. And that's going to happen because Thunder Rosa is a great wrestler. She's not good. She's great. Um, saw her at Warrior Wrestling in Tinley Park a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I just I saw her against Mercedes Martinez, as a matter of fact. And that was a terrific match. Solid match. Um, but I think Jade goes over. And then, of course, the Lucha Express... Lucha Brothers against the Jurassic Express for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun matchup. Um, Not sure who's going to win that one. I kind of feel maybe that the Lucha Brothers will win that one, but I'm not sure. But I know that that's going to be a high-flying and that's going to be a fun match. And by the way, shout out to Jungle Boy. I saw him in a promo, I believe, a week ago. The holiday makes I get confused on the holiday. I believe it was a week ago or two weeks ago. He had a lot of baby face fire. He was he's getting more and more confident in the promo. I like that because it's one thing for him to look good. It's one thing for him to be a good wrestler, but he's got to be make people believe. And now that he's a little bit more outspoken in his promos, I think that Christian's helped. I think people in the back have helped. And Jungle Boy is a little bit more outspoken. So I look forward to that matchup with Jurassic Express against the Lucha Brothers for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. Hey, don't forget about our YouTube feed, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Could use a lot more subscribers there um, because if it's not on the podcast, you could probably catch my thoughts on Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage, other shows. Check it out on our YouTube page. Again, YouTube, look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit that subscribe button. I definitely appreciate it. And the last item on my yellow pad here to talk about Besides uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling coming back to Access TV in March, which I think is cool, um, there'll be some matches. I know that we're in the middle of Wrestle Kingdom 16 right now that's happening, uh, but New Japan Pro Wrestling announced that they're going to be back on Access TV if you have that on your satellite or cable uh, in March. I remember watching Jim Ross uh, call a lot of those great matches on Access TV. They should have never left Access TV. They actually should probably be on a bigger platform for more people to consume uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. But uh, Access TV, March, uh, on Thursday nights at 10 Eastern, 9 Central, apparently, on um, on Access TV. So check that out. So the last thing I have for you here on this edition, this supersized edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, is... Controversy regarding former AEW wrestler Big Swole and AEW CEO Tony Khan. So on Fightful.com, this is the first place I saw it, there was some thoughts from Big Swole, a, a women's wrestler that was in AEW. And Big Swole and AEW, they mutually parted ways on November 30th. I think it's very quiet. I don't know if everyone knew that, but Big uh, Swole had not been around since November, so she's no longer with the company. She signed with AEW in December of 2019 after appearing in the Casino Battle Royal at All Out in 2019. Um, and in 2021, last year, she was battling Crohn's disease. 
did not know that either until I started reading the column uh, and starting to learn more about what's going on with Big Swole. So she has a call-in show, a call, a show in which she could be able to speak her thoughts about professional wrestling. And on her show, she had a number of things to say. She, first of all, she talked about how much she enjoyed her experience at AEW and working for Tony Khan and talking about how strong that Tony Khan in as a, as a promoter and as a producer of the content. She talked about some of the nice things that Tony Khan did for her and for the locker room while she was there. I want to lead with that because I know it's lost in the sauce because there's been so much controversy on what Big Swole had to say, and I'm going to break this down. So one of the things that she said was in her final talk with Tony Khan, I explained to TK that I didn't want to resign because my peace was being disrupted. If anyone knows me or knows myself, if anything is disrupting your peace, it's time to let it go. It might be scared or be hard, but it's the time to let it go. When Kenny Omega said that, it was a circle coming to an end because Kenny and I would bump heads sometimes throughout my time in AEW. To end it on that note felt good. It felt wonderful to end it at a place where we didn't see eye to eye, but we were there. This is her actual quote on her show. So she detailed her thoughts about AEW, and she thinks that some things need to change in the company, just from her standpoint. So here's the thing that blew up the internet on New Year's Eve in the evening. So along with the lack of structure, in AEW, Swole said that the she saw a bigger issue in AEW, and that was lack of diversity. Outside of the lack of structure, the biggest issue, which is diversity, I do not beat around the bush when it comes to diversity in my people. There is no representation truly, and when there is, it does not come across in the black community as genuine at all. I don't know why everyone is so afraid to accept it or say it. But it's not a good look. What happens is you have this wonderful company that treats people like family, but there is nobody that looks like me that is represented at the top and in the room with them. They are not helping to necessarily influence decisions, but to explain why certain slang and certain words shouldn't be said. There is no else. Uh, there is no one else who can explain our culture and experience it except for us. She continued. I knew something was up when my daughter, who loves watching wrestling, she would watch AEW all the time and seldomly watch WWE. She's not a fan unless her dad, who is Cedric Alexander from the Hurt Business, was on TV, which stopped happening after they botched the Hurt Business. She would say, Mommy, there's nobody that looks like me on AEW. There's no one that looks like Daddy. Then she started watching WWE because she saw Bianca and Big E. She saw herself represented. If that wasn't a click, you're absolutely right. I don't have an explanation. It's 2021. Why are people saying it'll take three years for AEW to have a black champ? This is a scripted sport. It should not take that long if you've been watching WWE for 50 plus years and you know what not to do. So she was also talking about how she is exhausted with the pandering when it comes to diversity and how it feels like the use of... Uh, to use this person for little uh, is not right. 
that's kind of the things that she was talking about in this column. I'm just reading verbatim what it says here on Fightful.com. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. So her point is, is that there needs to be more diversity within AEW. And I'm going to get into that in just a second. I want to also, though, read the response from Tony Khan. The actual quote that he tweeted was, the two top executives at AEW are brown, me and Mega. That's what Tony Khan said. They are brown. Jade, Bowens, Caster, Dante, Nyla, Isaiah, and Mark Quinn. Uh, one on TV this month. The TBS title tournament has been very diverse. I let Swole's contract expire as I felt her wrestling wasn't good enough. Hashtag AEW Rampage Street Fight Tonight. Okay. Couple things here. Let's talk about Swole, then I'm going to go after Tony Khan here. Number one, professional wrestling, historically, has had a hard time being able to accept diversity. And diversity, I know for some, is a scary word. Like, oh, do you mean that you set aside white people and just allow blacks and Latinos and Asians and women be able to run roughshod and let them be able to just take over the sport of wrestling or business or television? Or That's not what that means. At least not in my standpoint, it does not mean that. Diversity, to me, it says, and we'll put it in a wrestling context because we're not going to go through all of this, but I will talk about this in a wrestling standpoint because as somewhat of a, of a half-assed historian of this business, I, will, I know what wrestling looked like as far as African-American and women and Latinos and others and, and Asians to be able to try to get over in this business. There was a time in this business not too long ago where if you had more than one African-American on the card, um, that was amazing. That was amazing. And I know that 2022 has changed. It's, it, it has totally changed. Um, and some for the better and some not for the better. I always think that it's always good to get everyone under the tent. I've always felt that way, right? I, and I'm a radio personality and a podcaster, and I don't feel like I'm just catering to just one audience. I feel like I'm talking to everyone, black, white, men, women, gay, straight. It doesn't matter. I want everyone to be, be able to be a part of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. And if you're a wrestling company or any business, you want to have everyone under the tent because ultimately that means more money for you. That means that's more eyeballs on your product. And for years, promoters turned a blind eye to black wrestlers for a long time. Just like, okay, bring in Rocky Johnson, but that's it. it. There would be a cap on black wrestlers or a cap on women wrestlers or a cap on Asian wrestlers or Pacific Islanders because it was a predominantly white sport like it is today. A a it, it, you know, whether it's AW, WWE, MLW, and it's predominantly white performers. There's nothing wrong with having white performers in a wrestling company. The issue is, is that when you're trying to attract everyone to be under the tent, when you want everyone to watch your product, you can understand why someone of color will look at this and say, well, where's, you know, how come no one looks like me is, is in the main event or in the top of the card? I believe this. I believe that when you have been undermined as a race in this business, in professional wrestling, 
if nothing else, if they're not the title pitcher, if a black person or a, a man or woman are not, is not at the top of the card, I think that an African-American, and I'm only basing this on not necessarily me, but I'm looking at it on Twitter and social media and what people are saying. You always want to feel like someone that looks like you at least has an opportunity to win a championship, the opportunity to be in the title hunt. And in AEW, it's not about, well, it's only been Chris Jericho and it's only been, you know, Adam Page. It's only been, you know, John Moxley that's the champion. It's not necessarily about a belt. It's about being able to have representation across the board. And I think that there are some, based on what I read from AEW fans, that feel like the representation is not there enough. Now, it's funny that Swole talks about the WWE because when you see Big E as a WWE champion, when you see Bianca Belair, whether she has a title or not, she's a star, right? Sasha Banks, uh, Bobby Lashley, the list goes on and on, right, of wrestlers that at least have the opportunity to win the championship, those that are in the mix, that are in main event spots, or at least at the top of the card, where they are not undermined, where they're not pushed down, where they're not made fun of, where they are not uh, in a position where, oh, these people are only here to sing and dance. All these people here are to bug their eyes out. They're just here to entertain white fans. What it's about is, it's about entertaining everybody. See, to me, that's what I would consider diversity, to be able to let everyone be able to have an opportunity to perform and have an opportunity to win the championship or at least wrestle at the top of a card or the middle of the card where you say that person eventually is going to be champion. And that could be Will Hobbs in the future. That could be Dante Martin. It could be somebody else in AEW. But for Swoles to talk about diversity, it's not just in the ring. It's also behind the scenes. So Captain Sean Dean, who's from Chicago, is kind of a recruiter and a wrestler for AEW, and he's able to put wrestlers in a position at AEW Dark and Elevation and put give them the uh, give them a push into that company, and then of course those wrestlers can fend for themselves if they're impressive enough, they'll get contracts. But Captain Dean does that for AEW. Mark Henry also works for AEW, who has the ear of Tony Khan, who can be able to influence. And there's only been one other that has had that kind of prominent position in the business as far as someone that can influence a promoter, and that was Big Cat Ernie Ladd with, with uh, Cowboy Bill Watts in the uh, mid in the territory days uh, in Mid-South and in the UWF. Only, only Ernie Ladd had that type of autonomy to be able to have the pencil you see Vince talking about the pencil now in 2022. That's what Ernie had. He had that ability to book wrestlers and to be able to get them paid because of his background as a professional wrestler. So my point is, is that I can understand where Swole's coming from saying that diversity has to get better in AEW. I don't think she was saying that Will Hobbs has to be the champion. I don't think she was saying that Ricky Starks has to be the heavyweight champion. But you just want to have a mixture of wrestlers, men and women of color, along with the uh, all, along with the other people that are on the card, um, and you feel like, man, someone looks like me has an opportunity because blacks have been so undermined in the business for such a long time. And for those of you listening to me and you're saying, well, Hood, what about the WWE? I mean, can I just tell you, even those in the WWE feel like, hey, 
you know what, I'm the champion or I'm in these positions, but I'm not really the guy. I, I feel like I'm being undermined. I hear these stories. I don't talk about them very much on the air, but it is true that there are African-American wrestlers, there are some women, there are some others that feel like they've been undermined. They feel like, man, I can never get that brass ring because the promotion doesn't think I'm good enough. And so that is an issue. Now, let me get to Tony Khan. Tony Khan fired back. He does things that Vince McMahon would never do. Vince would probably call the wrestler into the office in Stanford, Connecticut and say, let's sit down and talk about it or release the wrestler, one or the other, right? But for Tony Khan, and I was baffled by his response to Big Swole because it wasn't that Big Swole was calling Tony Khan a racist what he what she was doing is saying that there has to be more diversity within AEW. You know what Tony Khan decided to do? Tony Khan wa- named every major black star in AEW within 60 characters. That's a horrible look. Oh no, we've got Jade, we got Bowens, we got Caster, we got uh, Dante, we got Nyla, we got Isaiah, we got Mark Quinn. Oh, you know, they all won on TV. What? what? I like black guys. I like black wrestlers. Look at these black wrestlers. You know, listen to me. My my dog's black. I like black people. That's kind of what it, how it came across, right? It, that's how it came across. Like, oh, my dog's black. I like black people. You know, the the, the screen on my the screen of my TV is black when it's off. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. He talks about the TB, TBS title tournament, how it's been very diverse. Okay, well, listen. Here's, if I'm Tony Khan, I'm not firing back in a tweet. And in the same tweet, he, promo- he promotes AEW Rampage in a street fight and talks about how he's brown, how his executive next to him is brown. And he named, he rattled off to a few black wrestlers and said, hey, watch AEW Rampage tonight. It's like, what the fuck? Really? That's not how you do business. But that's how Tony Khan does business. He just counts how many black wrestlers are on the on his roster and says, no, Swole, no, I got no problem with diversity. That's not the point. It's not about who wins the championship. It, it's, about, it's about who has the opportunity, not only in the ring, but also outside of the ring, in the back. Who has influence in the back? I mentioned Dean and I mentioned uh, Mark Henry. But that matters too. Representation matters too. You're not. Uh, there have been promotions run ass backwards for years in professional wrestling, and I'm glad that you see the Big E's and the Kofi Kingston's and the King Woods and the Bianca Belair's and all these others that are able to get it done. But there are a lot more that are undermined in these major companies, and they talk about it. And Big Swole's also one of these people who talks about this. Says, "Hey, we're we're doing well, but we can do better." And there's nothing wrong with saying that. And that'll do it for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Don't forget the YouTube page, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. And by the way, more on this stuff about Big Swole and and Tony Khan. I was a guest on First Black Champ Podcast. You will be able to hear that in this feed. So whether it's Spotify or whether it's Stitcher, whether it's SoundCloud, check out me on First Black Champ with uh, Camp from the Port and J.R. Bang. We talked about what diversity looks like for, for, for professional wrestling in 2022 and moving forward. I'm Jonathan Hood. Thanks for listening to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday right here, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. So much wrestling. 
So much wrestling we got to talk about in 2022. Oh, my God. So much wrestling. Thanks for listening.